Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, June 19th, 2020. And on this report, I will be talking about what former Vice President Henry Wallace described as the century of the common man. What condition is the common man in today, since this is supposed to be his century? For the Castle family, though, week four out of quarantine passed uneventfully. Although the powers that be tell us that we are now part of the mask ones, the mask generation, whether we like it or not, a family daughter remains marooned but safe and unmasked, virus-free in a distant land on May 8, 1942, in the Grand Ballroom of the Commodore Hotel in New York City. Vice President Henry Wallace gave a speech to a packed house. It was packed with a diverse group people from 33 different nations, including all the nations of Latin America. It was vice president speaking after all, and the nation was in the early stages of a world war. Mr. Wallace titled his speech, The Century of the Common Man. He reviewed the great revolutions that had engulfed the world over the centuries in which he asserted the common man had tried to uplift himself through bloodshed. He emphasized that the next century would be different since the coming change would be for the benefit of the common man and the government would bring it about peacefully. He said that he and President Roosevelt were proposing to make the following 100 years the century of the common man, buttressed by the four freedoms emphasized by the president. In his recent speech to Congress, these four freedoms, President Roosevelt told the world, were the four freedoms that Americans held to be so dear they would be willing to die for them or to go abroad and kill to protect them. The four freedoms were freedom of speech, freedom of religion, or worship as the president worded it, freedom from want and freedom from fear. We will address the state of the four in a moment, but first... The vice president's speech became an international sensation. Mr. Wallace was an avowed socialist, you see, or communist, depending on who you talk to. That was 78 years before Bernie Sanders made it fashionable to be a socialist. Composer Aaron Copeland, who was the son of a Jewish Lithuanian immigrant family, was so taken by the speech he wrote a composition in honor of it, which he called... Fanfare for the common man. The piece became a part of Americana. It's still played today. I'm sure you've heard it sometime in your lifetime. The vice president was honored by fellow socialists around the world for his idea of bloodless revolution, although at the time the world was awash in blood. Mr. Wallace proposed that the government should relieve the burden of individual responsibility that the common man had shouldered since the advent of America. The burden would henceforth be socialized across all strata of society. Incidentally, what is a common man? What does it mean to be called common? In the traditional European definition, it meant anyone not a member of an inherited royal family or royal status, anyone not deemed royal by a member of the royal family here in America where we are supposed to reject such titles. It could mean anyone not of any esteemed social status 
Such things in America are usually decided, determined by money instead of birth. At the time Mr. Wallace spoke, common men and women were dying by the millions across the world, dying in battle, dying as collateral damage in war, dying in the German concentration camps. When the war ended, the 15 years of the post-war boom really could truthfully be said to be the golden age of the common man, except for a few years fighting on the Korean Peninsula. The common man's plight was uplifted by the world war and its aftermath. The industrial machinery of the war was converted quickly to civilian consumer goods that provided good middle-class jobs for the 12 million returning men. The former soldiers all needed houses, cars, all other products had to be manufactured. There were enough good jobs in manufacturing to go around. Each family could live on one income, so there was one spouse available to nurture the children. They had a car. They could take a family vacation once a year. When the breadwinner retired, there would be a pension waiting for them. The status existed at least in part through parts of the Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy administrations, but then the Federal Reserve and the elites whose cause the Federal Reserve served started to assert itself. The Vietnam War put the final nail in the coffin of the century of the common man. President Nixon found that it was impossible to pay for both an expensive war and the great society programs left over from President Johnson. His solution was to cut the dollar loose, cut the dollar's historic tie to gold, set it free with no limits on what could be printed, what could be borrowed from the Federal Reserve via the central banks of the world. This was all happening at the same time that American manufacturing was being transferred to various offshore low-wage countries to serve the interest of the international elite, but not the well-being of the common man gone were the well-paying middle-class jobs, and the only thing left for the common man was the low-paying service jobs, jobs that, as President Bush told us, Americans would not do. The American common man suddenly had to compete not only with low-paid workers around the world, but with low-paid immigrants who were imported into his own country in massive numbers. He was told that he should be happy about all this. It was all in his best interest. Furthermore, the jobs that were taken from him and shipped to the third world would be replaced by modern high-tech jobs involving robotics and so forth when he went to school to try to learn some of those high-tech jobs that perhaps would get him into Silicon Valley. He learned that most of them went to Asian Americans or just plain Asians. The common man was told that he had to not only accept this bum deal, he had to like it. NAFTA, CAFTA, WTO, GATT, and the like were all good for him because he would now be able to go to Walmart and buy stuff really cheap from China. What a good deal, except he couldn't even afford to buy the cheap junk because half the time he worked only a temporary job. Maybe he was on unemployment, always on food stamps. He could appear rich, he was told. If he could just acquire more debt to buy more cheap junk, his self-esteem languished in the gutter as he could not get proper education for his children most of the time 
the degrees available to them were virtually worthless. All involved a lifetime of debt for his children and himself. In fact, he could not make ends meet at all because his wages remained flat for 40 years while inflation ate away at his lifestyle. Families that were fortunate enough to remain intact were forced to both work while the government took on the child-raising responsibilities. One spouse worked to pay the taxes, one worked to pay the bills. They had to borrow to survive until they couldn't meet the debt service anymore because income and expense just never seemed to balance. Good news for the government, though, as computers relieved them of the burden of printing. Now they only had to hit a keystroke, and the money appeared if, by magic, the government set the example for the common man to follow, borrow whatever you need, pay back nothing until it all collapses. Then you take the fall, not the banks or the Wall Street firms. You, Mr. Common Man, you take the fall. Let's look now, after that dismal picture, at those hallowed freedoms that President Roosevelt talked about. Surely, that picture of freedom will lift the spirits of our bedraggled common man. Freedom of speech was the first one. Guaranteed, of course, in the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, that one is easy to cover because it doesn't exist anymore, at least not under the concept of freedom as we used to know it. The only speech that is allowed is speech that not only agrees with but exalts the prevailing political narrative. Our common man has no option but to lie to those who demand his view of things. He has no political opinion except those opinions assigned to him by a media whose goal it is to establish his opinion and make him believe it's his own. No college professor can dispute that narrative, no doctor, no scientist, no lawyer, certainly no common man. To dispute the prevailing narrative would be to lose one's job, one's profession, one's social standing, to be ostracized from polite society. If anyone had the audacity to actually speak his mind, he would be forced into a humiliating, groveling, disgusting, Apology, which does not mean, does not, he does not mean, and it does not work anyway. His head would be symbolically paraded around the world on a pike as an example of the penalty for noncompliance in response to common man, being also a practical man, keeps his mouth firmly shut lest anyone should find out he has a contrary opinion. In his mind grows a burning anger. He thinks he has no voice. He's unable to affect this deteriorating condition he sees all around him. However, this is America, he thinks. He reasons so. He can still vote. He can obtain change that way. That'd send them a message, wouldn't it, that he is not going to take it anymore. No, no, our common man learns the hard way that no matter who he votes for, it just gets worse. What about religion? Surely he can still worship as he pleases. No, the churches are closed now. Possibly they'll be open partially over a time frame to be determined by his betters. He also learns his religion is out of favor right now. He hears a lot about Islamophobia, but he sees no sanction for those criticizing his religion. So the common man keeps his mouth shut, hopes no one notices that he might have an opinion of his own. The other freedoms listed by Mr. Wallace are not protected by the Constitution, but they are fine socialist talking points for sure. Freedom from want, that's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, the government is supposed to somehow prevent each person 
in this country from want. No one who wants for anything. Well, let's just restrict it to no one who wants the necessities of life, such as food, clean water, housing, education, and so forth. He thinks it's not for the best, but he waits like a baby bird for the government to put the food in his mouth. Freedom from fear is the last one. The common man says, don't make me laugh. The last few months have been about nothing but fear. The government and its elite masters want us in a constant state of fear so that we are much easier to control. The common man is told to be afraid all the time. Avoid risk. Take no chances. The government will solve the problems for him. He looks around. He sees all kinds of lies, hypocrisy, destruction of everything he holds dear. Everything he was raised to believe in is bad. Everything is now good. That was once bad. He is not allowed to attend church, but protesters are allowed to fill the streets. Terrorists occupy the center of a once great city. No one does a thing about it. Pallets of bricks appear to the terrorists as if by magic on hand carts for the looters to use. A Nazi collaborator pays people to riot, to burn, to loot and call other people vicious names in the public press. His country, the one that his grandfather stormed Omaha Beach to save, is not his anymore. He's told constantly by virtually all media that the problems are all his fault. He wonders how that could be, why so many blame him. He only wants to live a quiet, peaceful life. Welcome to your century, Mr. Common Man. The common man's not stupid, though. He knows the plan is something like this. Number one, instill fear in people. Number two, lock people inside their houses. Three, drive tens of millions of people out of work. Number four, remove all pressure release valves such as sports, concerts, theaters, bars, restaurants, and the like. Number five, close the churches. Number six, dehumanize people by forcing the healthy to wear masks. Number seven, sit back and wait for the explosion. Finally, folks, what is the common man supposed to think about all this? He isn't. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.